switch desks here. Well, thank you for remaining standing for the reading of God's Word. Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. It's page 996 in your pew Bible, if you would like to read with us today. The Lord Jesus Christ speaking through the Apostle Paul. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove Rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. This is God's word. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's ask the Lord for help this morning. Our Father in heaven, we need your help. When you speak to us, we need your spirit so we can understand. So we ask that your spirit would give us understanding today. Lord, when you speak to us, we need ears that are open to hear you. So open our ears to hear you today. Lord, as Dustin prayed earlier, we want to hunger for your word. We, We want to want to hear from you. Let that be our craving above all other cravings. Speak to us today, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if if everything that we have is taken away from us, and I mean that as a church. So if everything we have as a church is taken away from us, if there's an earthquake and a fire and a flood, and all of our buildings are just reduced to a heap, If the economy collapsed and our bank closed its doors and the FDIC, they couldn't help either. And if we had no instruments and no microphones, no screens, and even the hymnals that we keep in the back were burned up. If we we had nothing but just a gathering of born-again believers standing on a pile of rubble, what would we say we needed more than anything else? To do church together. What are some of the things we might hear? Right? Well, we need an organ. 
right? Because that's how I imagine heaven. Someone else would say, no, 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 guitars. And someone else would say, no, piano. It's got to be the piano. And you might hear, well, we've got to have the building. Or it's not going to feel like church. Someone else will say, well, in that building we need pews. Because if there's not pews, then it's not a church. And then someone would say, no, 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 the pews are gone. Good riddance. Let's do chairs this time. Right? They're, they're more comfortable. We can seat more people. And then somebody would say, well, I need stained glass. Someone else would say, no, 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 no. We need to be cool. We need video. We need lights. We need, we need fog. We need something to get people's attention. And it's got to be cool. And it's got to be a, a high quality production. And someone else would say, no, no, no. We need authenticity. Let's do candles. Right? <laughs> And then, and then somebody would say, well, how are we going to impact somebody? And, and people would say, well, we need to talk about the things that impact people in their lives. Like, we need to know what sort of things they like. We, we have to know what their felt needs are. We have to know what sort of needs they have and, and talk about those things. And then the Baptist, standing over there where the kitchen used to be, picking through the charred cabinets looking for crackers, would say, <laughs> we've got to eat. <laughs> Because if, if we don't have potlucks, it's not church. But what do we need? What is, what is required above, above everything else? What do we need more than anything else in order to rightly gather as Christ's church to grow in Christ together? We need to hear from God. We need to hear from God, don't we? We are His people. We're His sheep. We have to hear from our shepherd. Think, think of it this way. If you're a missionary and you go to a people group and it's your intention to see those people come to saving faith in Christ by the Spirit's power and then if you want to see those, the Spirit draw those people together as a church, what do you need? You need to proclaim God's Word to them in their language. You need the Word of God. It's absolutely vital. The Word is the means that God created Everything that is. Genesis 1-3, what does it say? God said, let there be light. And there was. And then you keep reading Genesis 1. God said, and there was. And God said, and there was. God's word has power, doesn't it? His voice has power. God created all that is through his word, and God is recreating through his word. If you want to see someone be born again, recreated into saving faith, they must hear the word of God. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you, if you want to see someone grow in their faith, they must hear the living and active word of God. Hebrews 10, or 4, 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What does that mean? It means that two-edged sword, God uses that to pierce the very essence of who we are and divide the old creation man from the new creation man. The flesh from the, from the spirit. It's, it's the word applied by the Holy Spirit that God is using to cut off your old man. Your old creation. It's the word stored up in our hearts that keeps us from sin. Psalm 
119.11. We're cleansed and we're washed by the word. Ephesians 5.26. The word restores our hope. Colossians 1.5. The word trains us in righteousness. Hebrews 5.13. The word is the good news that we must hear over and over and over and over again. As Dustin read in our Old Testament lesson this morning, we don't live by bread alone. We're nourished by the word. Our lives are dependent on the word. So the word of God is absolutely, it's foundational to us. We cannot be a church without the word because the word itself, God himself through his word, applied by his spirit, is how he forms the church. Think think of how in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out on Jesus' disciples, and then what happens? Peter, empowered by the Spirit, preaches the word, the gospel. And what happens? 3,000 people come to faith. That's the beginning of the church. God used the means of the word preached to form the church. And then everywhere after that, wherever the word goes, the spirit goes. And where the spirit goes, new churches are formed in Christ as new believers are called into Christ. The word of God is necessary for the people of God to be born into Christ, renewed in Christ, and sustained in Christ. In other words, hearing God's word is the primary means of grace in which we grow. We, as Del Cerro Baptist, we would never have been a church had we not every one of us who truly belongs to Christ church, had not every one of us heard the word of God and been united to Christ in faith. We can't be a church without that. We can't do church, what we're doing this morning, worshiping. We can't do that without hearing the word, because we can't grow in Christ without hearing the word. The hearing of the word, again, I'll say it again, the hearing of the word is the primary means of grace, this series that we're, that we're embarking on. This is week one, it's our foundation week, where we're looking at how God grows us in grace. Well, hearing the word is the primary means that he does that. We, we grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ through hearing the word of God. And I think it's, it's with that, all of that, because that's a lot of scripture I just fire-hosed you with. That's a lot. But it's with that in mind that Paul commands Timothy in our text this morning, preach the word. We, we read it in our text this morning that, that Paul first reminds this young church planter, Timothy, to ground himself in the word. We saw that in, in chapter 3. Look at uh, chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Paul, the apostle, speaking to Timothy, his young protege, he says, But as for you, he's talking to Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. What, what Timothy learned, what Paul's talking about, is the gospel. Timothy learned the gospel, and he learned it from his mom, and he learned it from his grandma, and he learned it from Paul. And the gospel, and I'll just define that for you, that's the, the good news, that by the mercy of God, the Son of God has become man to redeem man from our bondage to sin. 
and give us hope in resurrection life. That's the one sentence gospel. That's what Timothy is to continue in. That's where Paul starts here. That marks out Timothy's life. And then look what, what Paul tells him. Verse 15. So, so remember, remember what I taught you. Stand firm on what you taught you. And, and how from childhood, look at verse 15, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's saying, Timothy, from the time you were a little one, so even before you came to Christ, from the time you were a little one, you've been acquainted, you've been acquainted with Scripture. And Scripture is able to make one wise for salvation through faith in Christ. To, to us, I think we, we can kind of grasp that because we have the entire canon of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, and we know that the New Testament points us to Christ because you see His name everywhere. It's all about Him. But what is, what, what's Paul saying to Timothy? Timothy doesn't have the whole New Testament. He, he's got the truth of the gospel, what he was taught that was handed down from Jesus to the apostles to him. And he might have Mark's written gospel. And we, we know he's got some letters from Paul. Maybe he's got some letters from Peter, but he doesn't have what we have. But when Paul talks about sacred writings to Timothy, he primarily means the Old Testament. That's what Timothy had available to him, especially when he was young, the Old Testament, the law, the wisdom books, the writings, the prophets. And he's saying those writings, all of them, can make you, Timothy, and you, Del Cero, and you, visitor, wise in Christ Jesus. Those writings point us to Christ Jesus. In other words, the Word of God testifies to Christ. It bears witness that Jesus is the Christ and that in him is life. That is important, all right? That's really important. Don't skip verse 15 in haste to get to your memory verse, verse 16, all right? Don't, don't skip it because verse 15 is the reason why verse 16 is true. Verse 15 means that when we look at the Old Testament scriptures that are breathed out by God, we are not to see them as a list of rules and morality stories. I dare to be Daniel. Right? The, the Old Testament is the Old Covenant, the covenant, the, the promise to God's people that is fulfilled in Christ. Jesus taught that too. In John chapter 5, Jesus is dialoguing with some Jews who are troubled that Jesus would dare call God his Father. They're, they're really triggered by this. And Jesus is dialoguing with him. And, and then he begins to monologue. And about halfway through his monologue response to him, he says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. See what he's saying? All that stuff you memorized, Jews, that was all talking about me pointing to Christ. And then at the end of Luke's gospel, we see this happen again. After Jesus is dead and buried and he's resurrected and he meets some of his disciples on what we call the Emmaus Road. And they don't recognize him at first, but he engages them in conversation and Luke tells us, Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them 
in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Those sacred writings, right? They're able to make you wise through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus taught that. Paul's teaching that. We teach that. It's on our website. Like first page. That's the foundational truth that we've got to get. Verse 15. Now, with that in mind, scriptures point to Christ. Don't forget that. With that in mind, look what Paul says to Timothy in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This isn't just a proclamation. This is is a logical argument that he's making. Think about it. Follow the logic. The scriptures fundamentally point us to Christ. Verse 15. And yet, we would say, in our doubts, these scriptures are written over the course of 1,500 years by men. Dozens of different human hands. How can all of those guys be saying the same thing? Jesus Christ. Well, because those human hands weren't the only ones writing what Paul's saying in verse 16. Those scriptures are breathed out by God himself. And because there is consistently that one author using human means, the arc of the story is the same. Jesus Christ. Now here, here, here's Paul's application. If, if it all points to Christ, then it's all profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, correction, and so forth. Right? That the scriptures breathed out by God are to be used for teaching us about how Jesus is the Christ. They're to be used for reproving us. That means showing us our faults. Reproof isn't a word we use much. It just means to show someone their faults. Scriptures show us our faults, our sin. And what does that show us? Our need for Christ. They're to be used for correction. Well, why do we need correction? Well, for when we're straying from Christ. Or when we're trying to find salvation by any means other than Christ. We need correction. I need correction daily. What does he say for training in righteousness? Since we've been born again into Christ, we are to grow in the righteousness that we've received from Christ. And how do we do that? Look to the scriptures. That's where our training in Christ's righteousness comes from. And then verse 17. Christians are made complete and equipped for good work by what God says to them. I'm paraphrasing. But do you see, see where I'm getting that? We're made equipped, we're made complete by what God says to them. That, that's, he, found, he grounds God's word in truth and says because of that, that's why you're able to be made complete in Christ. Without the scriptures, you don't, you don't get it. God speaks to us through his word. Now, I want you to, again, this is a very rational sermon, okay? If being made complete in Christ and being equipped sounds familiar to you, it's because Ephesians 4 is ringing in your heart because we talked about it last week, All right? In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, the same writer writing to the same people, the Ephesians, Paul tells us that Christ gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors for what? To equip the saints. 
for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So that's why he's given us leaders in the church and the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, so that, so he's given you them to equip you so that we grow in Christ together, essentially so that you'd be made complete in Christ. So equip and complete, same idea. Ephesians 4, 2 Timothy. Now thinking of these two things side by side, all right? You've got 2 Timothy and Ephesians. Think with me, if in Ephesians... Christ has given us these church leaders to equip us. And if in Timothy, it is the scriptures that are profitable for equipping, see where I'm going? Then what must the leaders of the church be doing to equip the saints? They seem connected, don't they? They are. Like, like these, these leaders are going to need to use the word somehow, aren't they? Well, look what Paul says as we continue in 2 Timothy. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. He's talking to Timothy. I charge you is to, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. In other words, I'm going to put that in our language. In other words, Timothy, with God as the source of this command and with Christ as your judge. And mind you, Timothy, he is your judge and he's coming back and he's going to judge you. You're going to be held accountable if you don't do this. You feel the weight that Paul is sitting on Timothy's shoulders? This isn't like a suggestion for Timothy. This is a command with a promise and a little bit of a threat. A lot of bit of a threat behind it. It's a terrifying warning. Timothy, what I'm about to tell you absolutely must do. It's imperative. This is your one job. What is it? Preach the word. Preach the word. Why? Because that's the way that God's people are built up in Christ. The word reveals Christ. Preaching of the word is the means that God uses to point them to Christ. To hold Christ out in front of them so that they might mature in Christ. Preach the word. Because it's seeing Christ in the scriptures that we're taught, reproved, corrected, and trained in righteousness. It's through seeing Christ, or rather, I want to be more precise here, through hearing Christ from the scriptures that we are equipped and built up into Christ. So so then, a minister's primary job above everything else he does is to speak the very word of God. To proclaim Jesus as he has been revealed in the scriptures. Paul often got a lot of guff for this. Probably too old fashioned of a word, but I don't know. He got a, he got a lot of rebuke for this from the places he went. But this is what he did everywhere he went. When Paul was in Corinth, this preached the word. That's exactly what Paul did. He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says to this, this dear church, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except 
Jesus Christ and him crucified. He was proclaiming the testimony of God. In other words, preaching what God has said. And the center of that message is what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. What Paul calls the wisdom and the power of God. Every week that a minister climbs up into this pulpit, this is the message. Jesus Christ and him crucified. For No matter where we are in the Bible, you're going to hear about Jesus Christ. If we're in Genesis, Jesus Christ is the promise of God. He's the covering for our sins. Jesus Christ is our salvation from judgment. Jesus Christ is the offspring of Abraham who blesses the nations. If we're in Exodus, we preach Jesus Christ, the redeemer of his people, the water of life, the bread of life, grace from heaven. From Leviticus, Jesus Christ is the perfect offering, the righteous one. From Numbers, he's the one through whom our inheritance comes. From Deuteronomy, he's the word of God by whom we're nourished. He's our entrance into the presence and the blessings of God. From Joshua, he's our Yeshua, our mediator, our savior. From Judges, he is the spirit anointed one. From Ruth, he's the faithfulness of God and the promised one from the line of Jesse. From First and Second Samuel, he's the eternal king from the line of David. From the history books, he's the true and righteous king, the bringer of the kingdom. From the Psalms and the wisdom books and from the major and minor prophets, it's all Christ. The Gospels tell us Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, who became man, and salvation comes only through him. Acts tells us that God has sent the Spirit to form the church, the people of God. The epistles tell us Jesus is the Messiah. Because he's the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's God, he's worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy of living a life totally devoted to him. Even in the face of suffering and persecution, you see that theme run throughout the epistles. Even in the face of that, Christ is worth it. We live in Christ. The whole council, all of God's word, points to Jesus. So I must preach Christ. And we, as a church, must hear the glory of Christ and sense our need for Christ and his work on our behalf every week. Because... Otherwise, we drift. Every single week, we've got to hear Christ and his work. If I'm not announcing Christ to you from the word, then you aren't hearing Christ. And if you aren't hearing Christ, you are not growing. Our hearing of the word is the primary means of grace through which the Spirit draws us to Christ. We have to hear from God. We have to, because we are in the, in the age of hearing. right? We live in the age of the ear, as one pastor puts it. The age of the ear. Where does he get that from? 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. We are waiting on Christ's return, right? But we can't see him. And so longing for his return... We listen to him while we wait. We listen to him. Think of a, a husband who's overseas working. When he, when he talks to his wife on the phone, he's, he's hearing his wife. That is only means 
of communication with his wife. Think of the cheap imitations of his wife that he might try to seek out. There's only one way to connect with her. It's that phone. It's to hear her voice. We live in the age of hearing from God, not by seeing him. If this were the age of the eye, if this were the age of the eye, I could put a picture of Jesus in front of you and that would transform you. That's not how God ordained things. In fact, God actually commanded Israel not to make images of him. It's the second of the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 5.8. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. Where's Jesus? In heaven above. Why? It was so his people would not be tempted to rely on that image for worship. God wanted his people to be reliant on his speaking to him. That's why he goes on in Deuteronomy 8 to say, my word is your, is your very life bread. It's so precious. God's word is so precious, especially when you, when you think about the, the people of Israel. God's word is so precious. Where did they put those Ten Commandments that they received from God? God's word. They put it in the Holy of Holies. If you wanted to be near the presence of God, where do you go? Close to his word. Not to an image. Not to an image. The presence of God was with his word. God's presence has never been with images. It's with his word. The only time we got to see him was when Jesus was here, and we didn't get to see him. But what does John 1 say about Jesus? He is the word. And we wait for his return, and we listen to him while we wait. God still speaks to us by his word. He protects us by his word. He corrects us by his word. He matures us in Christ by his word. We can't see Christ. Not yet. When we see him face to face, what does the Apostle John tell us? 1 John 3, 2, we will be transformed. When we see him face to face, we will be transformed in an instant, but not right now. While we wait to see him, we're to be satisfied in listening to him. And through listening to him, we have our hope restored that he's coming back. We have our hope restored through what we hear. And in that hope in Christ, reminded of the nearness of Christ in spirit and in the word, we grow in grace and we inch closer to Christ. And so pastors always are to be ready to preach the word. Always. Look back at verse 2. When? Always. In season and out of season. That means when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. When people want to hear the word and when people want anything but the word. Be ready in season and out of season. There's an old, an old Wild West frontier story. Maybe you've heard it before. There's a Methodist preacher. This is a true story. Methodist preacher named John Chivington. He took it upon himself. 
God's calling on him to go through all these wild west frontier towns. And in one, in one town, in what was then the Rocky Mountain District, it wasn't Colorado yet, but it was in a town out there, Chivating got so fed up with all the drunken debauchery and the fights and the rioting and the thieving. He went into the tavern of the town and he destroyed all the liquor. All of it. He poured it all out and he broke all the bottles. And you can imagine that the owner who moved out there to start a tavern and make some money was a little upset. And you can imagine that the the townspeople who had come to that tavern every night after working whatever they were doing and just getting raging drunk, they were kind of mad too. Right? So so you, you can imagine this whole town who relied on this tavern as their source of entertainment and profit. They're very upset and they mob together and they tell old Reverend Chivington, we are going to tar and feather you if you don't leave. And he didn't leave. When Sunday comes, he marches up into the pulpit of the only church in town and he lays two pistols in front of him and he opens up his Bible and somebody yelled at him, you need to leave. And he says, by the grace of God and these two pistols, I intend to preach God's word to you today. That's what we call out of season preaching, wouldn't we? It wasn't convenient for that reverend and nobody wanted to hear what he had to say, but he was under compulsion. What kind of compulsion? First Timothy or second Timothy chapter four type compulsion. He took God's word seriously. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Keep going and look at what he says in verse two. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Now, now what, what did Paul tell Timothy the scriptures were profitable for? Remember in chapter three? All scriptures breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training, and righteousness. And now he's saying, take those scriptures that you're grounded in, Timothy. Take what God has said and repeat it. Let God speak. That's your job. If the word is reproving, preach that. If it's rebuking, preach that. If it's exhorting, if it's holding out in front of us how we must follow Christ, preach that. Preach the word, the whole thing. What that means for us, whether you're leading a Bible study or whether you're here or where you're here, you're preaching means we don't get to skip verses that make us feel uncomfortable. That says to a timid preacher, and sometimes I'm tempted in that direction, that, that we must not shy away from letting God correct us where God would correct us. And that says to the bold preacher, sometimes I'm tempted in that way. It says that preacher must not only preach correction, but he must preach exhortation and encouragement where God's word is encouraging. Because that's what God aims to do through his word. And so that's what God aims to do through the preacher of his word. He's just God's mouthpiece, his his bullhorn, God's microphone. And the minister is to do that, how? With complete patience. Now, why patience? Patience. Well, what did we learn last week about how we grow in grace? Rule number one, growth in grace is gradual. I was, I was a little frustrated this week with a situation, and I was venting to Dustin, and he said, 
Somebody told me growth is gradual. (laughs) He's preaching my own words back to me. Ministers are to be patient. Because it's the Lord who does his sanctifying work through the word. It's not the pastor. But God working through his word. Martin Luther has this famous quote about how the word did all the work in Germany in the Reformation. He, he says, it wasn't me. He, he, Luther, and I'm going to quote him directly. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. So I'm to simply preach the word and to be patient. Because I am not the force that's changing people. I'm not growing you in grace. The Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to do that. In verses 3 and 4, Paul tells Timothy why he's got to make this habit out of preaching the word. Now, we already know, in part, because the word is so foundational. That was kind of our intro. But but Paul says there's also a danger if you don't. Look at what he says. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths. Well, that tells us a couple things. First of all, preaching the word involves teaching sound doctrine. Look look again, when Paul says, for a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, he's saying, you, Timothy, are to be about the work of sound teaching when you preach the word. Preaching the word is teaching sound doctrine. It's like what the book of Nehemiah recounts that Ezra did. He stood on a platform so the people of God have been gathered back. The exiles are gathered back into Israel. Jerusalem has been rebuilt. Or it's in the process at least. And Ezra gets up on the platform and what do the people do? They stand to hear God's word. That's why we do that. They stand to hear God's word. And then Ezra reads the word and then he gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So he read it and then he taught it. That's what preaching is. Reading the word and then giving the sense for what it means so that people gain understanding. In other words, preaching involves teaching, doesn't it? And that's where training comes in. Timothy was gifted by the Spirit and trained by Paul to give the sense of the word, to teach the word. Now what that doesn't mean is that there's some secret meaning in the text and you have to have a special key to open it up. And if you pay me five installments... $29.99, I will give you the key. No, that's that's, that's not the Bible. The word is plain. It's understandable. But there are things that we miss when we read it, if we read it without a guide. And that's basically what discipleship is, isn't it? Guiding others into the meaning of the word, pointing them to Christ. My, My goal when I preach to you is that you'd be able to see exactly where I got everything I said from God's word. 
Not that you would say, wow, wasn't that amazing that he came up with that? If you say that to me, that's like strike one. If I do that three times, fire me. Right? Instead, here's what I want to hear. This is music to my ears. This lifts my soul. Oh, I see right where you got that. I didn't notice it the first time I read it. That's what I want to hear. That's all I'm doing. Showing you what's there. It's like hunting for mushrooms. That's not really a San Diego hobby. And there's not good mushrooms here. But in the Northwest, it's a thing. All right? So you or I might, might be looking for mushrooms. And we walk right by a patch of morels or chanterelles every day. And we don't even know that they're there. Until a trained eye, someone who's been discipled by another mushroom hunter, says, look for morels in places where there was a fire last year. Look for the chanterelles near the oaks and the birches and under the blueberry bushes. And then because you've been shown how to see those mushrooms, you see them everywhere. The teacher didn't make them appear, did he? He helps you to see them. That's what the preacher of the word does. He helps you see Christ. He points you to Christ in the scriptures. Well, the second thing that that itching ears passage talks about is how people are going to gather for themselves teachers that say what they want to hear. This isn't new. I mean, Paul says in the last days this is going to happen. He's not saying this has never happened before. It happened in the Old Testament. Wicked kings would gather around them prophets who would tell them what they wanted to hear rather than what God said. Ahab is notorious for this. You look in, in 1 Kings chapter 22, and Ahab is this wicked king with a Jezebel of a wife, and he is got 400 prophets. And they all just say, yes, Ahab, that's exactly what you should do. Right? He asks them, hey, I'm thinking this. And, it, and the prophets say, yes, yes, that's what the Lord says. 400 of them who scratch his itchy ears. And there's this one guy, one prophet of the Lord. And if you read that chapter in 1 Kings, you'll hear Ahab, you'll see Ahab and he'll say directly, I hate this guy. I hate Micaiah. Micaiah is the one guy who will speak God's word instead of what Ahab wants to hear. Well, not much has changed. We all are a lot more like Ahab than we want to believe we are. And in our sinful flesh, we will accumulate for ourselves teaching that we want to hear. Go to the bookstore and, and look at how many few books that teach actual sound doctrine there are and how many self-help books there are. Like shelf after shelf after shelf after shelf. Why? Because they sell. Because that's what we want to hear. You're good enough. You're smart enough. And people like you. We, we accumulate for ourselves that message. We're drawn by the passions of the passions of the flesh away from Christ. And so what is the antidote to that? Even for Christians, especially for Christians. Oh, we have to hear the word. And so Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Preach Christ. 
What better way to avoid being led astray by voices that are just an extension of our inner voice? What better way to to hear the living and abiding word of God call us back to Christ every week and to hear it preached from God's word? We need to hear from God to grow in Christ. Well, finally, Paul tells Timothy in verse 5, Always be sober-minded. And I think that sober-mindedness is pointing back to the solemnity of the charge that he's given him. I, I charge you in the presence of God. And because you're in the, you've received this charge, that should sober you. So he, so he says, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. St. Timothy... Be real about this, right? Know this. You're not going to be the most popular guy. You're not going to be tickling their ears. You're not going to want to hear it. But it's how they'll grow. It's how God protects them. It's how how God points them to Christ week after week after week. And somebody's got to do it. So Timothy... Preach the word. God's people must hear God's voice. Well, church, if if the preacher is called by God to communicate the word to you, then what do you think God's calling you to do? This is just one very simple application. Listen. Hear the word. Listen to God's voice. It is the grace of God toward us that he would, he would dare even speak to us. Think of the mercy of that. I mean, just think of your rottenness this week. It doesn't take long. Okay, just this morning. And think that the God of the universe wants to speak to you. That he's not shunning you. He wants to speak to you. He's gathered you in. He's called you to Christ by his word and he wants to mature you in Christ through his word. What is our only response? Listen to him. We must be willing to listen to him. Honor and obey God by listening to him. Worship him by listening to him. Pray that every week his voice would clearly ring from this pulpit. From now to Christ's return. I will be dead and gone at some point. And it is my prayer that God's word still be preached from this pulpit. If Christ hasn't returned and transformed us. So come ready to hear from him every week, okay? Let's pray. Oh God, you're a good God. What a joy it is to hear from you in your word, to see how you work. What a joy it is to to be your instrument here. God, thank you that you would allow me to do this. I thank you that you have spoken to me for for decades from your word. By men you've called to yourself. I thank you that you're still doing that, not just in our church, but in every word-preaching church in this town right now. And right now, there are lives being changed by what you're doing through your word. God, thank you. 
I pray, God, that you would, you would, you would just continue to give us ears to hear. Would you show us that mercy, Lord? In Christ's name, amen.